Good morning, everybody. My name is Spencer Meisner. I am the senior high and young adults pastor here at Forest Grove, and I uh, get to be the first to preach within this Passages series. Um, and uh, I may have played with the rules a little bit. You know, Kevin's going on sabbatical as of tomorrow. Bruce is on holidays. Marine's on holidays. So I kind of have next to no supervision. Uh, and so I decided to not really focus on one passage, but a few, kind of, kind of on a topic and bring a lot of passages into it. So uh, Kevin, just so you know, you can't discipline me till tomorrow, but your holidays start tomorrow. So if, uh, sorry, can't, can't do anything about that. Um, so we're going to talk about Peter today. That's going to be where we spend all of our time discussing Peter, who was uh, a disciple of Jesus, uh, which just means basically Jesus chose Peter, who we will refer to as Simon or Simon Peter multiple times. It's all the same person. Just get that in your head now. Um, someone that Jesus chose to follow him and to, that Jesus wanted to teach so that um, other people could know about Jesus. Uh, so Jesus basically kind of did this idea where, you know, I'll, I'll take 12 people, I'll teach them about me, and then those 12 people will go and teach more 12 people. And it kind of sounds a bit like a pyramid scheme in a sense, but it's, there's no money involved and it's all very, very good, right? So it's about multiplication. And so Peter was one of these people. And Peter plays a pretty significant role in the life of Jesus. A lot of these stories that we hear about Jesus, um, actually Peter is quite involved in many of them. Uh, so we know, of course, uh, Jesus chose Peter, like I mentioned. He went up to a group of fishermen and said, I want you to follow me. And Peter was one of those fishermen. He said, okay, I will. And he got up, left his nets, and went and followed Jesus. Um, Peter um, got to see firsthand um, Jesus healing someone when Jesus actually healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so he's involved in a lot of these miracles and a lot of these stories that we hear about Jesus. Um, and so we're going to go through a few of those and talk a little bit about Peter, um, and uh, we're going to get to a point at the end. So all of these stories, just keep them in your mind as, as, as we go through this journey together. So in one of these stories, it's pretty significant. Um, Peter is talking to Jesus, well, the other way around, Jesus is talking to the disciples, Peter's one of them, and he tells Peter something pretty significant about how Peter will be involved in the church going forward. So we'll read that. It's from Matthew 16. It says this, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a term that Jesus often used to refer to himself. So he's asking, who do people say I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Elijah and Jeremiah are one of the prophets. They are some of the prophets who foretold these stories about Jesus John, is a, uh, John the Baptist is a guy named John who baptized people. Pretty straightforward. Um, so Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So there's a lot that happens here, right? So Jesus is taking his disciples to this place called Caesarea Philippi, which was not 
an ideal place to live if you were someone who wanted to follow Jesus or uh, someone of the Jewish faith. It was a pretty dark place. And actually, there was many people, it was kind of like the, the cultural norm to believe that the gates of hell were actually in a cave in Caesarea Philippi, in this area. And so Jesus has all of his people here, and he's basically talking to them and saying, okay, so let's, let's take stock of how the last number of years have gone. Who do people say I am? And they say, yeah, well, some people say you're a prophet, some people say you're John the Baptist. And he's like, okay, more importantly, maybe, let me ask, who do you say that I am? And Peter is in this dark place, full of, full of darkness, where you know, these, these gates are rumored to be, potentially right near them, within, within view. And Peter sit, like, just steps up and he's like, you know what, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. So he says, I believe that you are this long-ago, foretold, prophesied Savior of the world, and that you are God's Son. So Peter makes this really bold statement. And Jesus says, you're, Peter, you're, you're blessed, because actually nobody, has, nobody here has told you that. Right? He's like, no one has revealed this to you, but actually God told you. God told you these things. And so, in all of this wild wildness around him, Peter admits this, and then Jesus kind of prophesies a little bit over Peter. Right? He basically tells Peter, look, this is great. The Spirit has spoken to you. And let me tell you, actually, that you are going to be a major building block of how I build my church moving forward. And this is where I imagine Jesus pointing and saying, and the gates of hell aren't even going to stand against it. Because he's right there, right? They're in this area where this, where this cave was. So this is a significant moment in Peter's life where his, his rabbi, his teacher, his mentor is telling him, you are going to play a really significant role moving forward. You know, if Peter was becoming a member at a church, this would be in his testimony. This would be a place where Jesus gets his attention, where Jesus sets him up and says, this is your future. So let's keep that in mind as we think about another moment. Another really, really big moment in the life of Peter. This is not long after this story that we just read. This happened. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Let's pause there. Transfigured. What does it mean? The answer, I don't really know. <laughs> it's basically this idea that, that Jesus kind of bends realities a little bit where he's there and kind of all of his holiness and power is really starting to show. And then these two people, so we know Elijah is this very important prophet, as they've already mentioned, and Moses is kind of th this cornerstone of the Jewish faith. So these three disciples are sitting there with Jesus. They're going up on this mountain. They have no idea why. Jesus kind of just goes, watch this. Kind of goes in between these realms of the spiritual world and the physical world, and he's there. And then these two dead, long dead, um, big, big people in the life of the Jewish faith show up. It's a massive moment. This is what everyone would dream of if you were walking with Jesus, to see Jesus in his truest, truest form with some of these like celebrities of your faith. So then Peter speaks up again, and he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. 
case you're wondering, if you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. So as I mentioned, this is like the dream scenario if you are a follower of Jesus. If any of us had an experience like this, we'd be talking about it for the rest of our lives. Right? Where Jesus is there, we see Jesus in like this massive holiness moment. Moses is there, Elijah's there, God speaks audibly through this cloud, and you fall on your face and worship. This is a massive, massive moment in the life of Peter. And this also happened in Caesarea Philippi, right? In the same place where people would say it's kind of, it's kind of like Satan's turf. It's kind of like his area. And Jesus throws down this gauntlet and he's like, look, I'm going to build this church. Gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. And then I'm going to just reveal this awesome power and holiness in this same area to show that I am truly who I say I am. And Peter's right there. This is quite the experience for Peter to see all of these things. Keep that story in mind. We're going to go to another one. A little bit different. See the other side of Peter a little bit. John 18. A little bit later in the life of Jesus. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas, also who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. So he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let those go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me. I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword in the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So this is where we see a bit of the flip side of Peter. We can kind of see that he's a pretty like eager dude, right? In both these other stories, Peter is the first one to speak up and make these bold, bold statements, right? Jesus says, who do, who do you say I am? And right away, Peter's like, you're the Christ, you're the Savior. It's like he wants to be the first one to say it, right? And then this big transfiguration happens, and Peter's like, Jesus, it's it's really good that we're here. I can put up these tents for you if you want to stay for a while. You can stay. Moses can stay. Elijah can stay. You know, so Peter here, again in this story, also is kind of the first to act. He's very eager. This is where we start to see some of the, maybe more the human side of Peter that maybe we can relate to a little bit. So in this story, this is right before Jesus is arrested, right? Where Jesus tells his disciples many times that he, he's going to have to die that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be killed, but, it, but it's for good. And the disciples kind of don't get it. They don't listen. So Peter, in this moment, kind of, kind of leans on his experiences with Jesus a little bit, where he says, okay, 
Jesus, you know, said that I'm I'm the I'm the corner. I'm I'm, I'm a stone in this church. I'm a really big part of his church moving forward. I, he chose me to be up on this mountain with him when all this crazy stuff happened. I must have I must have to protect him. So when this when this is happening and these Roman guards are here to arrest Jesus, Peter whips out a sword and cuts some guy's ear off. And he thinks that he knows what Jesus wants in this moment, but Jesus very quickly tells him, Peter, put your sword away. I have to do this. And then he heals this man's ear, puts it back on, it's totally healed. There's a good quote from D.A. Carson, who is a, a much smarter man than I am, uh, who studies, studies God and writes commentaries, and he says this, The blow was as clumsy as Peter's courage was great. The tactic was as pointless as Peter's misunderstanding was total. Peter's bravery is not only useless, it is a denial of the work to which Jesus had just consecrated himself, and entirely in line with the synoptic evidence as to the faultier of the disciples to comprehend the passion when it was announced to them. Keep this story in your mind again. Keep it in your mind about how Peter reacted. We're going to come back to it. So right after that story... Jesus is arrested, like he said he was going to be. He's taken, he's beaten, and he's being led to the cross to die. And then this story happens. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. And that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of these men's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. A few verses later, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by a fire. So they said to him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, and he said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I, not, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So earlier in Scripture, Peter's talking about how much he loves Jesus and how great of a disciple he is of Jesus. And he's saying all these amazing things. And Jesus says to Peter, you know, Peter, believe it or not, you're actually going to deny that you know me three times before the next rooster crows. And Peter said, I would never do that. That would never happen. And then it does. So after all of these things that Peter had seen of Jesus, right? Countless miracles. Watching his own mother-in-law be healed by this man. Feeding 5,000 people. Raising people from the dead. Count any, any miracle that you see Jesus doing in Scripture, Peter's there. The transfiguration on the mountain. Jesus telling Peter that he was going to be a big building block moving forward. Why does Peter still deny Jesus? Why does he say, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one of his followers? There's a couple theories. And this is where we're going to go for the rest of the time. Is I'm going to give you these two theories, and I'm not going to tell you which one to believe. That's for you to figure out. Or come up with your own theory. I'm not the be-all, end-all up here. One of these theories is that Peter, much like a lot of the Jewish people at that point, would have believed that 
while reading the Old Testament, reading the prophecies about Jesus, that Jesus would come back and overthrow this Roman government by force with a large army, really large military, and take it over and supplant himself as king and bring Israel and the Jewish people back and and make them a massive, massive country. So that could be why one of the reasons that you know, that Peter cuts off this servant's ear. He's like, okay, all these things I've read, everything I know about Jesus, he's going to come back by force. This is that moment. And so he, he makes the first blow, right? He strikes the first blow. He saw that military action was the best way to defeat the Romans. And every the culture around him probably would have dictated this as well because that's what a lot of people believe. So when Peter finally kind of sees the end, of what he sees is the end of Jesus when Jesus is arrested, beaten, forced to carry his own cross to die. I wonder if, if, that, if you want to follow this theory, I wonder if Peter started to doubt. And he's like, well, how, how can there be a massive military overthrow if the guy who's going to do it is about to die? Maybe he realized it's, it's time for him to jump ship. And maybe he really disassociated himself with Jesus at that point. Maybe he did. You know, maybe Peter was like us, where he thought that our experiences with Jesus was, was all we need. He sat there through every experience, and he saw things happen. He was a part of so many of them. When, when Jesus walked by the disciples, when they were in a boat, and he was on water, walking on water, Peter goes, hey, I want to do that too. So he gets up on the water and all of a sudden he starts doubting that Jesus can actually do it for him and he starts to sink. And Jesus tells him, you, you have such a little faith. You have such little faith in me. So even after Jesus was resurrected, so he dies, at one point he's, he comes back to life. Even after that, the disciples still weren't really sure that it was Jesus when he would come and talk to them. Peter was actually the first one to go into the empty tomb So he knew Jesus wasn't there anymore. He saw the folded up burial bandages, and yet he still doubted on the other side. So maybe this is, maybe this is my, the other theory is that maybe experience isn't everything. Maybe having these big Jesus moments isn't actually everything. Uh, I, I have another quote here that I, I wrote down on my phone a long time ago. I have no idea where it's from. I'd love to give credit, but I can't, so I won't. Um, it says this, Peter shows us how important faith is. He saw Jesus with Elijah and Moses. He walked on water. Jesus said he would be the cornerstone of the church, and, yet, and he had every reason to trust Jesus and believe that he was the Christ. Yet he still denied Jesus. You can have all the experiences and proof that God is real, but you still need faith. Something that Peter didn't have. So when I, when I read this, I think the best way to build faith in someone is to have a relationship with them. So faith doesn't necessarily equal relationship. And I'm not going to make a judgment on Peter's relationship with Jesus. But a lot of this evidence actually points to the fact that maybe he thought he knew Jesus, but maybe he was actually just relying on his experiences instead. So when Jesus asks, starts, starts washing the feet of the disciples before the Last Supper, who has a problem with it? Peter. 
He says, no, 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 you, should, you are not washing my feet. You know, he thought he knew what was better for Jesus. He said, you're not washing my feet. You know, he thought that Jesus would want protection when this army came to him, so he cut off the servant's ear. He thought that's what Jesus would want. He thought that Jesus could make him walk on water. And he was right, but all of a sudden he doubted it. It left his mind and he started to doubt again. You know, so Peter, Peter was wrong a lot with Jesus. And maybe that, it could potentially point to the fact that maybe the relationship there wasn't really as close as maybe he would have wanted it. You know, it's hard to know how to react like Jesus when we don't know Jesus well. So you can, you can read scripture and you can have an experience with Jesus and that is a way to know him. You can go to camp and you can come back from camp and have this massive camp high where everything's about Jesus and you're going to live your whole life for, for him. You can go to Bible school, you can learn all about Jesus, get all of the Greek and Hebrew that you need to know. But without a relationship with Jesus, those things kind of fall short. And all of those things are really good. And in fact, I feel like I've done all of those things. So I wouldn't discount any of them. Actually, I didn't learn Greek or Hebrew. That's not true. Um, But without the Holy Spirit guiding us, without a relationship and an intimate knowledge of who Jesus is and letting him speak to you, we're going to be a lot like Peter, where we think we know the right way, but we're not listening to the Spirit for what actually is the right way. You know, he also denied knowing and following Jesus three different times, which I think would be really hard if they were friends. This, this, this analogy breaks down a little bit, but follow me. So how many times do we, all of us, walk by someone on the street asking for money? And how many times do we just do nothing? Um, how, how much more likely would we be to do it if it was one of our friends? You know, if, if one day Marley's down on her luck and is on, is on the street and asking for money, just personally, I know I'm way more likely to help Marley Berg than someone I don't know. And that's wrong of me, and I'll admit that, but I am more likely to do that because she's my friend. Right? And so I think for Peter to have a deep relationship with Jesus, an intimate friendship, it might actually be harder for him to deny knowing, following Jesus when he's pressed. I think what I think what I what I want to get at here is that that your experiences with God are really good. But I don't think it ends there. I don't think we can just say I, I have my God moments, I have my faith markers, whatever you want to call it, the things you can look back in your testimony and say, This is where this is where God really met with me, this is where God provided for me. Those things are really, really good, but I don't think it stops there. We are invited to a personal relationship with Jesus. And we are invited to listen to the Holy Spirit. We spent a whole, <laughs> a whole series on it just before this Sunday, right? Talking about the Holy Spirit, understanding the Spirit a bit more. Now, we have the benefit of Peter having actually written letters to other churches and other people. So we can kind of look back and see what Peter has learned over these 30-some years after Jesus. And so... We're going to read from 1 Peter 1. He says this. Uh, First of all, he starts the letter by introducing himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he clearly has a change of heart after the resurrection, right? Jesus comes back. He 
speaks to his disciples. He has another experience with him. I feel like his faith is solidified at that point where he fully believes that Jesus is who he says he is, finally. So he introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he says this, Blessed be the Father, and, sorry, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. First Peter is full of these awesome scriptural quotes that people will say, this is my life verse. And I think that's pretty great considering no, when, you, when you consider the life of Peter and the kind of roller coasters that he's been through. So even in this, he calls Jesus Lord, right? He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He comes back to those things that he knows and actually, I think, now finally believes. He talks about being protected through faith by God. That it is your faith and your relationship with God that protects you and that leads you to salvation. It seems like he has a bit of a change of heart here where he, maybe even he realizes relationship's actually quite important. And check this out too, I love this. Where he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This sounds like someone who is really happy for people to have a legitimate faith in Jesus. Because Peter saw Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. And yet he would, it almost seems like he's admitting that he kind of fell short a little bit. Because he says to these people, like, you, you haven't seen him, and yet you love him. And you don't see him right now, but you believe in him. And you can rejoice in obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is salvation. It seems like someone who is very happy for those who, who have this relationship with Christ that he wishes he had when Jesus was on earth. Later in this same letter, he also lends this idea of a, of a personal relationship with Jesus when he says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, holy nation, people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think Peter learned the value of being the people of God, someone who is in relationship with Jesus. And so for us, 
what I think this means is that it's imperative that we are in a relationship with Jesus, that we are in relationship with him, that we listen to the Holy Spirit. Because Peter had all these experiences, and we can, we can look back on our lives and talk about the, the experiences that we had with God, and those are quite good. Don't hear, don't hear me saying they're not good. Those are very good. But I think the relationship we have with Jesus and, and how we listen to the Holy Spirit is actually important, maybe even more important to solidify where, where we know. You know, Jesus, Jesus invited Peter into some very intimate moments with him. Jesus prophesied to Peter about his future. He gave him hope. He gave him a future to look forward to. And he can do the same thing for us. I think it's also imperative that we listen to the Holy Spirit. If we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, I think that we'll be the ones cutting off people's ears in defense of Jesus. Because I think if the Holy Spirit was there and Peter was listening, the Holy Spirit would have told him, don't do this. Jesus needs to go. And in our lives, when we come into places where we feel like we need to defend Jesus, if we just rely on our experiences and don't listen to the Holy Spirit, I think, I think we're going to cut someone's ear off that Jesus doesn't want us to. Otherwise, I think we'll be responding to what we think Jesus would want without really knowing his intent because we don't have that closeness. So I, I want this for myself, and I want this for us, so I'm going to pray for us because no one else can give this to us but Jesus himself. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for um, even the fact that we can read about ways that you live. Thank you for Peter. I mean, thank you for the, the eager guy that he was. Lord, I'm sure many of us can resonate with Peter. Thank you for the ways that you continued to work in Peter throughout his life. And thank you for these letters that we have from him that, that kind of show some growth and, sh- and point us to where we should go. Lord, help us to know you intimately. We ask that you would invite us into intimate moments with you. We ask that your spirit would be speaking to us that you'd be shining through us and shining around us, Lord, so we know where to go. Jesus, we want this relationship because we don't want to walk around and deny who you are. We thank you for this cautionary tale. We pray that we wouldn't be one for others. We can't do any of these things on our own, Jesus. We pray them in your name. Amen.